hello, welcome from the Rooker End. Uh, my name's John, with me is Mike. Good evening. Good evening, Michael. Uh, we are outside the Palace Theatre, uh, having had a wonderful evening of feelings of being a Watford fan at Tales from the Rookeridge Live uh, 5. This is going to be a special podcast where we have been backstage, uh, thanks to Adam Leventhal uh, for the access we've had. It was a wonderful evening, wasn't it? Yeah, really good, and lucky that we... A, live close enough to get here, because I know there's a lot of Watford fans who live across the globe and they, they probably look enviously at these sort of events and, and wish they could be there. Um, yeah, an intimate night with basically your Watford heroes. It was We had a surreal moment talking to Luther Blissett and he was talking about um, how, yeah, sometimes you realise you're talking to guys who had their picture on your wall when they were kids. I was like, yeah, that's me, mate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just and hearing just them talk candidly, openly uh, and honestly about not just their life at Watford, but their life and their views on football as a whole. And I thought tonight was particularly interesting. It went off a number of tangents. There was talk about, about uh, Brian Clough. There was talk about cheating. There was talk about um, all sorts of stuff about leaving legacy. It was, it was really, really rich content tonight. It was really interesting stuff. It wasn't... It's probably one of the... It, it was obviously, it was all through a Watford lens, but... Some more interesting stuff, but because it because they were talking about non Watford stuff, the people you know and trusted, it's just great to hear. And people like Sean Dice, just just great. They're so pleased that they're part of Watford's history, uh, and it's it's a real real privilege and a real honour to, to hear from them at sort of such close quarters like this. Uh, we got to speak to uh, all the men that were here tonight. Um, you're here, uh, firstly from Sean Dyche, who we spoke to before the event. We then spoke to Paul Wilkinson, Luther Blissett, Tony Coton. And uh, fin- finishing up with uh, Adam Leventhal, who, along with Lionel Burney, are the sort of the men behind Tales from the Vicarage Live and, and the books, with some news where if you weren't here tonight, well, you might actually be able to, to see what happened. Um, so, hopefully, enjoy. Uh, firstly, Sean Dyche, Paul Wilkinson, Luther Blissett, Tony Coton, and Ev- Adam Leventhal. Thank you very much for listening. Decent to five aside team. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, do subscribe to From the Rookery End. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, and uh, yeah, here's a, here's a special podcast for you this week, hearing from some. Wonderful Watford legends. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Sean, we're here at um, uh, Get to Live on Stage. Uh, you've performed for many years uh, as a footballer in front of uh, a stadium. Is this scarier or is this nicer to be in front of uh, an audience, a small audience? No, I did it um, a few years ago now. I think it was three years ago. Um, the same venue. I enjoyed it because it's a different connection that you have with fans. You know, give them a slight interview. Obviously, you still have to be careful with some subjects, but a slight interview, a few anecdotes, and it's more sharing than a... You know, if you go to, like, a fans forum, it's a bit like that, but it can be a bit angled because fans, you know, especially if you're the current manager, they they, they want to know what's going on at that time, whereas this is kind of mostly reflection and, and a, a bit more light and a bit more um, easy, a bit more... Like I say, a bit more. Well, I found it a bit more of a shared experience. You know, we had some good questions from the the, the crowd and, and kind of a bit of banter and a bit of fun, really. So, so I quite enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to tonight. But what I think we like about these is the fact it's some old faces coming back and sharing sort of experiences about Watford, and it's like a friendly audience kind of thing. But do you think the next generation of footballers will see them doing what you're doing, what Luther's doing tonight, and coming back and taking part in these sort of things, or are you guys a bit of a dying breed? I don't know. I think the, the difference is now with, with all the different players from all over the world now, particularly at clubs like Watford, actually, funnily enough, where the connection's probably different, you know, with, with clubs. I mean, people obviously, well, not all people, but Watford people will know that I was here a long time, you know, player and youth coach, assistant, manager, the lot. So I think there's a different connection. You know, it's, it's a respectful connection for, for years of service. And, 
I think that's different now. I think players move on quicker and contracts seem to be, you know, before the inks dry, they're already trying to move to the next club. So I don't know whether there'll be that connection. There will be for some players, of course. So I don't know. It's going to be hard to fathom, I think. On the other hand, I will say that the, the size of the game now and the size of the media view, um, whatever media that is, um, I think that might open up opportunities. And I think it's each to their own. Some players like that. Some players have a bit of enjoy this sort of thing. Some disappear into the wilderness and you never see them again. So I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the, the sort of media side and the connection side of, of players and, and, uh, and clubs, how that grows in the future. I, I don't think it'll be as tight as it has been, um, but I think it'll still be there because I think players still respect the clubs that they play for, or mostly anyway. You're being, you're being very gracious talking to us, who are in effect a, a supporters podcast, so we appreciate your time and coming on. But, but talking about the link between players and managers and supporters, what do you think about the sort of fan TV sort of stuff? I think... Obviously, supporters like it, and there's a bit of frivolity, I guess, around it, a bit of fun and games. But what do, do, do players and managers think? Perhaps that might drive a bit more of a wedge between getting in touch with, with your heroes, basically. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a strange situation now, because as a manager, you can, you can have fun with things. And yet, ironically, if, say, that team, whatever team that is, wasn't going as well, you're not allowed to have fun. So therefore, what are you having fun for when we've got serious issues with the team or whatever? Um, I try and give a balanced view. I, I like to have a bit of banter whether times are really good or not really good, you know, and not because I'm flippant, just because, you know, at the end of the day, there still has to be a connection, a rapport with the people, whether it's fans, whether it's the, your teammates or, or when I was a player, obviously, the team when I was a manager, my staff. You know, I, I still think, you know, it's kind, of, um, it's kind of laughing in the face of adversity sometimes. You know, there's got to be that. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's tough when certain media situations put on I'm giving a manager's view now really you know when they, they put on a manager oh why was he doing that he was seen here and he was seen there like you should never have a life because the team maybe are not winning a game um, and yet ironically what I always think is when the team are having a tough time you know they should actually be smiling a bit more yeah. you know because in most workplaces or in most things in life if people are having a tough time do you think they want more doom and gloom of course they don't they want a bit of light they want people to relax a little bit and sort of bring that good feeling. So it's a strange thing in football that it's like you're not allowed to have fun, but you are when it's going well. That's so a, I think it's a different view. That sounds like it'd be a perfect T-shirt. Sean Dyche says, relax. Yeah? <laughs> Possibly. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm allowed to laugh at that or not. So I'll, I'll, I'll abstain. Uh, you, you mentioned yourself you are at Watford for a long time. I think I probably know the answer to this, but do you ever think, what if? What if you'd stayed under the Pozzos? No, because look what's happened since. You know, and at that time of asking, it was it was unlikely. Now, don't get me wrong, when I went to Burnley, it was unlikely. The first promotion, the second one was a bit different, but the first one was highly unlikely, you know, from when I was there from my first season there. We'd sold players, we were cutting. And when I was here, we were cutting. So it was, it was difficult, you know. The, you don't want to bore play, uh, fans with that. They don't want to hear that. But at the time that I was manager, we were cutting everything. So I was really proud of the season that we had. And I think the fans were eventually. I don't think they were in the first 13 games, but <laughs> after that, I think they were, you know. And I think they sort of slowly, the messages become realities. And they go, actually, I don't think he was making excuses. It has been tough because we are cutting everything. And now what was a different concern now and a completely different model, a completely different animal, if you like. All these things are good on reflection. I don't know. It's an open view on it. This is what you're very proud of, I know. But how's your hand clap? It's pretty loud still. Yeah. I have a, a moment of my annoying loud hand clap. Um, is, it, is, it, is you feel like, you know, as a, as a manager from the sideline, your hand clap is standing up to the Premier League standards? I think I'd be up there. I think I'd be up there. If they had a hand clap top, top 10, I'd be, I'd be up there with my uh, annoying loud hand clap. It used to be a joke with the players when I was um, 
one of my fine moods. It's hilarious talking about it to you. Uh, but it used to get a giggle on the bus now and again. Yeah. One of our, one of the friends of the podcast, a guy called Ian, he, uh, he plays in a band called The Gaslight Anthem. And now he tells me that you like the occasional gig. I do. What's on the uh, Sean Dyche Walkman at the moment? To be honest, the latest one that I saw, I, I don't get as much time now, so I have to fit him in because I live between two places. So I'm often trying to get back to see my kids and stuff. Um, Green Day were the last one. Right. Fantastic, absolutely. One of the best I've seen. I, I like seeing all different bands. I do like rock, but I like all different bands. But I really went for them in the spectacle. A friend of mine who's big on gigs, he said, you've got to go for the spectacle. He said, they're as good as you'll see as actual show, and they are absolutely fantastic. I recommend them to everyone. So even, you know, if you semi-like the music, you've got to semi-like the music. I actually do like the music, but what I mean is not as much, I'm not as thirsty for them as like Kasabian or something like that, but they are absolutely extraordinary life i mean they rock for two odd hours and they do not stop it is full on all the time it's mag magic to watch that'd be a decent midfield i reckon green day wouldn't they possibly <laughs> possibly a modern midfielder all action covering the ground if, if we can ask you a little bit a, a slightly more serious question watford fans haven't been um necessarily too happy with the way things have been going at, at watford i think some are unhappy with the style of play some are unhappy with the perception of how interested and passionate the players are and there's just a few a few grumblings people outside of Watford would probably say get your heads out of your backside you're your 13th in the Premier League in your second second season where do you think the balance is between wanting your team to play decent football and and just surviving well that's the, the hardest part about it really um, not so much for us at, at Burnley because the immediacy is you know staying in the Premier League is, is would be massive for a club like Burnley because it's very difficult to do. We, we haven't got the resources of everyone else, even now. And we've had a go, by the way. We've spent a few quid this, this time around. Um, but nowhere near what most do, especially in wages and stuff like that. Um, for Watford, I think it's different. I think it's a, it's a tough one because look where the club is now from where it's gone, or where it was, rather. Look at um, what they're trying to do. Still, still a tough situation. The Premier League, you now know because you've seen it. It's a tough league. There's no two ways about it. Um, the fabric of the club is different to the one that I left. The model of the club is different, so therefore that's fair to say there's a join there. Um, I think I think Watford fans will have their view. One thing I know as a manager, it's very, very difficult. The modern game has never been more difficult because really fans, if they're honest, they want a bit of everything. You know, they want high-quality football. It's got a win, of course. They want to develop. They want to move forward. They want a great ground. They want great pies. They want a cheap scene ticket and the rest of it. And I'm not saying that to do fans down. It's just a reality. But I, I, I've shared it in a, in a number of interviews and I'll, I'll, I'll bore you with it as well. It's often a reflection of life. We all want something off the internet quicker. We want it delivering yesterday. Uh, if it's broken, we don't mend it. We buy a new one. And it's all got throwaway. And I think, I think some, some, fan opinion, it's throwaway. It changes like the wind. Not all. Um, usually your older fans who have been with the club for years and years and years see it a bit differently. Um, but there's a lot of new fans now and the new fans are... Because of the, the, you know, the internet warriors, it's like up and down like yo-yos. Opinion radically changes by the week. And, and I think that's just, it's not right or wrong, it's just different. And I think the demands on the manager have got, you know, forever, have got, have got tougher, basically. Um, tougher to deliver. But we wouldn't be doing our job as supporters if we didn't ask you. After the Watford game at Vicarage Road, you've probably had a chance to review the tape now. Should Niang have been booked for his celebration? No, the point was that I made afterwards was a real one. I don't mind telling you. That's the rules. They're not, they're not my rules. They're, they're, we're told they're the rules. Um, he, should have been di he should have been booked for diving right in front of me without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but no, they're the rules. So I just mentioned the rules. I said that, that was the point. You know, if, you, if you're going to 
um, Senjef Endrikov for minimal contact, no maliciousness. I think we all know that. But a foot, high foot. So I mentioned afterwards, I, I get it. But then if you get that and that's the rule, then you can't have that rule and then not have the other rule. So that was the point. But at no angle to the player, I don't know him. So at no angle to the result, that's the way it goes. You know, we, we gave a good account of ourselves, I thought, and, and probably should have got something from the game, um, even with 10 men for 86 minutes. So I was actually proud of, of the players that day. So, um, no, I, I just think it's one of them things. And, and I don't want to do the lad down. They're the rules. Unfortunately, they don't always get stood by. Um, and on that occasion, they didn't. From the rookery end. We're delighted to be joined by Paul Wilkinson, who's fresh off the stage at Towson Vicarage Live. Paul, what was it like back in front of uh, thousands of fans again? Oh, really good, really good. It's nice. It, listen, it's like any time when, you, when you're an ex-player, it's always nice to go back to your clubs. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot, to be fair, the last two or three weeks, I've been back to Middlesbrough, I've been to Everton and I've been to Watford. So it's been, it's been great. And often when you're in between jobs, those are the things that you do because... Uh, you know, the fans, especially fans at, at, at big clubs, remember you for, for a long, long time. And it's important to go back and, and to to pay your dues to them. Did you did you play in the playoffs against Blackburn? Yes. So what what was that like? Because that was a bit different. The playoffs were a bit different back then, weren't they? Yeah, we were too, I think we drew 0-0 at Blackburn. Everybody expected us to win when we came back and... Uh, I think we did. We end up getting beat one there. No, it's one all. One all. Yeah, yeah so we, we lost, lost on away goal, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that, and it was probably one of the hardest. And I think that probably because I think it was the next season we actually struggled a mm. bit, so it, it was like the lull mm. from that because we'd come down and everybody wanted us to go straight back up, and the the obviously the expectation levels and everything, and you know Steve Harrison's first year as manager and you know everybody thought that we were going to go straight back and in the end when it didn't happen there was obviously uh, a big lull around the club and unfortunately the next season we we didn't start particularly well and struggled and I don't I think it was we had something like eight or nine home games where we didn't win for at home and we went for a real bad uh, real bad time and we ended up scrambling out of relegation with a game or two mm. to go and but you scored, in, that, in that relegation you scored that goal against Oxford yeah. do you remember that goal? yeah I do well it's funny actually because I remember that because <laughs> when I was at Barnsley a few years later we'd actually won promotion and went to Oxford on the last day and got beat 5-0 but that was probably more from the celebrations yeah. of the week than anything else but no, I mean to be fair, it was it was just total relief, and because it had been such an up and down season, we'd gone through a couple of managers. I mean, Colin Lee had taken over, and then Steve Perryman, and it, it was a real tough year. But we still managed to pull out of it, and it, you know, it kept, it kept the football club in in the league that that uh, it deserved to be in, and always will do. And and you know, if, if they'd have slipped out at that time, it maybe would have been a lot more difficult to get back, but thankfully they didn't. But there was a, there was a, a, a game against Blackburn at home, and that's almost like someone said that was the turning point. Now, the legend goes that apparently at the end of the game, someone threw a bin onto the pitch, and that bin was on fire. Do you remember it? Because we're trying to see if it's true. We're trying to find anyone who knows anything about this bin. Did you ever see the bin that was on fire? I should tell you, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had, because then I'd know it was that important, oh. but I can't say that some, I do. Some say that's, that was a turning point, yeah. where actually that, after that Blackburn game, that's where you sort of took off and, yeah. and finished the season really well. Um, I was just going to say, talk about that, that, that goal, a goal that saved, basically saves Watford from relegation. At the time of scoring that, does that feel like another goal, or can you... 
can you sort of assess the importance of it at that time when you're no, actually on the pitch? Always assess the importance. Yeah. Always assess the importance. I mean, touch wood and not be my head throughout my career, I was lucky enough to score goals in big games at Middlesbrough when we got promotion. The promotion game I scored at Barnsley when we got promotion. The promotion game I scored. So, you know, I was lucky enough to score in those big games and sometimes you're that lucky striker and, and, and you know... You, you get that opportunity and, and, and you take your chance and you score your goal and, and you look back and you just think, you know, how important those things are. And very much seasons are turned on little opportune mm-hmm. moments like that. I mean, you know, you look at uh, you can look at a million and one things. It's like Conte this year changes a back four to a back three, you know, because they they, they get beat they get get beat strong at home by Liverpool and all of a sudden he changes everything. Mike is on the verge of losing his job and it changes. When I when I went to Everton, now Kendall the year before, had uh, gone to Oxford in the FA Cup, Edwin Eve scored the one two one, changed it, kept his job and all of a sudden he went on and won championships. And those things it's like Fergie at the United, isn't it? it? All those things it's always split seconds that change careers and change change people's uh, as a player it changes your opportunities to maybe go to a big club if you've got three or four goals you're struggling you score you get 10 goals out of the next 12 games all of a sudden you're the best player in the world again so you know it's always those scenarios Paul thank you very much for joining us can I ask you one favour if you wake up in the middle of the night tonight think I remember that burning bin will you let us know <laughs> you'll be the first person I tell you <laughs> we're the Orns you're the Orns come on you it's a great pleasure to welcome to From the Rookie End, uh, Luther Blissett. You've just come off stage at the latest Tales from the Vicarage event. How was it for you? Oh, it was brilliant. Some great stories again. You know, you know, you're a part of the times, but some of these things you forget and then players bring them back up and, it, yeah, it brings it all back and they were some of them very, very funny and they do bring it as vivid as it happened uh, a number of years ago. It does feel like a very special occasion. It feels like a very Watford thing, these things. And I think the fans who've been here feel very lucky. But but yourself, Luther, I mean, we all know you scored two and a half million goals for Watford. Do you get do you get bored of talking about it ever? I don't think you I don't think you can do because it was a great part of my life and the supporters out there, you know, they've they've sort of grown up with me and all the other boys and we've been a big part of their lives and you know, we sort of feed off each other once we get out there and we get together. I had a conversation in the break with a, with a few supporters and, you know, and it sort of brings it home to you that these people have been watching you since they were that high. Seven. You know, <laughs> and younger, you know, and now they're grown adults with kids themselves which they start to bring and, you know, they tell you little stories of when they started going which, you know, you just think to yourself, Wow. You know, and, and that's again, you know, I alluded to it on stage that Graham Taylor made us very aware of how important our role, not just as footballers, as really members of this community was, you know, and the way we should then relate and the way we should go out and everything that we do, we do it for the supporters as well as for ourselves because we're all in it together. And this is a very special club because of that, because you, Watford are now in the Premier League, but. Watford is Watford is not a Premier League club in its truest sense. Watford is one of the true and probably the you know small club like the Burnley. In fact, Burnley is a bigger club than Watford is by you know. So Watford is that small club in in the Premier League, and I think 
we should never ever lose that understanding, that feel of what it's like that everybody's involved and every member that comes to watch and pays good money week in, week out to watch, they're as big a part of this as the players and all the staff and everybody else. And it's a very special club because of that. You say Mike said you know you scored two and a half million goals for Watford. Uh, Troy's in 105 now. He's equal with Cliff Holton. Yeah. Do you feel a bit of breathing down your neck maybe that no, record got, I have no idea where he is behind me nowhere <laughs> at all you ever felt there was a player because you know he, he's been at a club a long time and scored it and you were at a club for a long time have you ever felt there was a player who might have been able to take that record off you if they'd stayed for, for, for longer I think, I think one comes to mind straight away Maurice Johnson Maurice Johnson if Maurice Johnson had stayed Maurice Johnson would almost certainly have done that because there was there was a man who was a prolific goal scorer you know and Morris is one of those that could go out and have the best night out of his life, get in, at, get in at 8 o'clock in the morning, have some breakfast, if he bothered with breakfast, got his kit on and went out and scored a couple of goals and would be fantastic in the game. And he could do that. He was a very special, very special talent indeed. You get to see Watford, and we know you're, you're at the ground a lot. If you could have one of the players from the current squad, not apart from Troy, perhaps, and, and to put them into your side, to put one of the better sides of the 80s that you played in, who would you, who would you take back in time with you? Goodness me. Harry the Hornet? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, he's got some moves, Harry. I'm telling you, he has got some moves. It's, it's a very difficult one because the way, again, Sean said, you know, would those players be able to blend in with the way we were? Would they be able to take the mickey taking that we went on and the things we would say and the way we speak to each other? Would they really be able to take that? You know, and I don't think they would because they're from this different time and their mentality and everything is so different to ours. And for the fact that most of us, as I said, well, all of us at that time, you know, for us, you know, to go and spend a tenner on a night out was a lot of money, mm. you know. Um, so it, it is a very difficult time and different people. So it's difficult to, to who might be able to transcend that. Mm. Troy, I think, would be one of those that you could put into the team from there. Somebody like Cathcart could play mm. in our team. Ben um, Watson is another one could play in the team. You know, reminds me a little bit of Les Taylor. You know, ginger in the middle of the pitch. Uh, you know, so you know, there's one or two that possibly would have made that. But you look at the the new players that have come in now. It's 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 a difficult it's a difficult one to fit into that team because that team was such a one-off and a special group of players mm. that it's difficult to almost change them anybody else. Who impressed you the most then? If they're not, maybe they're not going to come back, go, in, go back in time with you, but who's sort of the plot players? Or really well, I think this, se- this season, if you if you look at the way Watford's done, the goalkeeper, I think again for the last three, he's, he's been spectacular for us. The goalkeeper, you know, I mean, Aurelio has been amazing for Watford, and the fans recognise that, and I think everybody did with him winning all the Player of the Season trophies last year. Um, this season, again, you know, he's a leader and he's a man, and he stands up. And that is what you want in your team. And we were all men at that time, you know, and even the kids that came through, they very quickly became men in that team because you had to. It was that or, you know, your career was over at at Vicarage Road. And that's very important for that. So you look at him, you look at the likes of Amrabat. I thought, you know, before his injury, I thought he looks like... Because, yes, it it wasn't great on quality, but but he had had that, I'm going to have a go. And that's all supporters ever look for. That's what I ever look for in a game. You know, somebody having a go. It may not work, but you have a go. And something may come of it. So, you know, players like that. Ray Kapoor started the season. You thought, goodness me, if he continues this this season, then he's going to be unstoppable the way he's gone, you know. But is that due to the way the team is playing more? You know, he's sort of lost that connection with the way he's been playing. You know, and that goes for a number of the players. I mean, I've watched pretty much every game at home and one or two away. Uh, the Watford team now 
has got so much talent in it, but it just seems a little bit misdirected to me at the moment. And for the last one, Luther, thanks very much for your time. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I assume the hat-trick for England was, was a great moment for you. Um, what's that like to, to play and score for England? And what chance do you think Troy's got of, uh, of getting those three lines on his, uh, on his chest? When you get a player that is having the sort of time now that he's had, he's starting to score goals again, which is brilliant. And it could have come just in the right time with England now coming back and start playing again very soon. It would be, it would be phenomenal if he would get that opportunity to go in there. But forward line is probably one of the most fickle places until you get until you get the opportunity to be in and show what you can do. Because managers have a specific way they want to play and the player they want to see at the front. If Harry if Harry is injured now, Harry Kane is injured now and he's got a long term injury, that might move Troy a step closer. You know, but then he's got the boys at Bournemouth which were knocking on Callum Wilson and one as we're playing so well and whatever before. You know, there's a lot of people now, there's a lot of players of that ilk in that area now looking to make that step up. And you've just got to keep scoring your goals and just keep impressing game on game. And that is needed your teammates around you to help you do that. Because no matter who you are, you need your teammates all the time. Without them, you're nothing. You're nothing at all because you need somebody to give you that pass, somebody, you know, to be there to play that one-two with or someone to get that knockdown from or, you know, whatever, if you're going to be successful. And so you need that. And can you just sum up just one quick sentence on what it feels like to put that England shirt on? To put the shirt on, it is, it is the best feeling in the world. To put that shirt on, you put that white shirt on, it's got the three lines on it. And you know that you're now going out to represent your country. There is nothing better. You walk out on the pitch, airs are standing up on the back of your neck and everywhere. And you just have this thing bursting inside you. I just want to get out there and just get stuck in. It is the most amazing feeling. Brilliant. Luther, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. We're joined by the man, the legend, Anthony Cohen. Does anyone ever call you Anthony? Uh, no, uh, my probably my first two days at school. Yeah, your mum never te- mum never go Anthony like tell you off. Not that I can remember. Okay. No, <laughs> not that not that I can ever remember. But you're calling me by my proper name, and I've just looked on Twitter and somebody's called me Russ Abbott tonight. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah. So. And do you love a party I, with an atmosphere? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. I don't. I don't know whether I take that as a compliment or not. You know, but. Um, yeah, good. As long as everybody's enjoyed the songs, that's it. That's I think it's fair to say that uh, that Tony Cohen is part of the atmosphere at these events. Do you do you enjoy it out there tonight? Yeah, great. It's my second one. I thought the first one was was good. I was sat next to Sean Dice. Obviously, I see him as a manager. I don't really know him. Um, met him before. Uh, listened listened to him talk. He's articulate. He's great. Um, thoroughly enjoyed sitting next to him. Um, and um, yeah, it was good. It's always good. The crowd are great. What for people? One of the things I like that that Sean Dice said. I'm going to call him Dice. You now he's not here because he can't have a go at me. <laughs> he, he he brought up the diving thing and the and the cheating thing. And I saw your ears prick up a little bit, and he said, "Yeah, you, we we wouldn't have it." Is yeah. it, how would that work then? If in 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 your day, if a player dived, what would happen? Yeah, no, you, you just wouldn't have it. I mean, um, we didn't know about cheating then. No, nobody knew how to cheat. You know what I mean? I mean, if you want to go back. Before my time, I think the only one that I can remember was probably Francis Lee diving for a penalty, you know. But um, uh, it's certainly in my time, um, I can't really remember off the top of my head anyone cheating to to get anyone booked or to get a penalty or to. There's times when people should have gone down when they when they stayed up, you know. Um, but it's not cheating. Um, so I don't. I, I like like 
Luther said, and like Sean said, the dressing room wouldn't let you do that. You know, that was the, that was the, the rules and regulations then. You know, no cheating. I often cringe, you know, I often cringe at watching the Premiership and um, some of these top, top players. Do you think that the, the players should sort this out or is, should the manager do it? Which would be more effective? No, it's, it's, I can only go from my experience when Cristiano Ronaldo come over to Manchester United at such a young age. Um, that was part and parcel of the Portuguese culture, you know. If, even if you breathed on a, you know, a little bit too heavy or just lend into, it was down you go. And I remember Sir Alex turning to the coaching staff, listen, any small-sided games, anything, anything we do in training, any time he goes down, give no, give no, even if it's a free kick, give nothing against him. He's got to learn the English way. Um, so that was a that was a great learning curve for me in, t- in terms of how the manager Sir Alex Ferguson w- was thinking then and and educating Cristiano Ronaldo. But he never gave him a, so he didn't give him a bollocking. He just sort of went. He just said, "Well, you won't get that in yeah, here, yeah. Uh, Cristiano. You won't get that in this league. You won't get it. You've got to learn this." Um, you know, and I, I remember many times uh, him going down and Scolzi running past him, get up, and Nicky Buck get up, and Roy Keane get up. You know, so he had to learn. That, that, that's the English mentality. You're a man who's up for uh, new things, so we're going to ask you to do a bit of time travel now. Okay. You can take one player that you played with in the, in the Watford team in the 80s and put him in today's team, and you can take one player from today's team and put him back in your team from the 80s to make it a better team, not just for a laugh. Uh, <laughs> listen, straight away you're going to say John Barnes, aren't you? You know, there's, there's a number, John Barnes or John McClelland or whatever, but who was a great defender. From my point, was certainly John Barnes to uh, transport him to the present present day, and he would um, any team, yeah. not just Watford, any team he would uh, he would make them better. From Watford's team into my team, it's difficult because I played with some with some great strikers. The two names that stand out to me at, at Watford is Radio Gomez, but I can't have him because he'd be taking <laughs> yeah. he'd be taking my place. <laughs> Um, and Troy Deeney, so I would probably say Troy um, to come back. And but I play, as I say, I played with Luther, Mo Johnson, George Riley, Mark Falco, Colin West, Paul Wilkinson, who's here tonight. Troy, and I think probably would be the one out of the whole squad that could cope with football as it was then. So we're here uh, after the fifth. Tales of Vickers Live. Uh, Adam, you on stage. How'd it go? I thought it went very well. It was different. It was a, it was a school night, a Tuesday night. Um, so there was a slightly different atmosphere. But once again, the crowd were on board. You could almost feel that they were waiting for that sort of big, funny crescendo moment. And, and I'm glad that we were able to deliver those, but also some important, important messages this evening, I think. And... Um, yeah, it was good. Poignant moments and also massive moments of laughter, I think, sort of make a, a complete night out, I think. We always come away with warm, fuzzy feelings from, from these events. And, and well, you, know, you laugh, but I think it's, it feels like a very Watfordy oh, like thing. And um, we feel like we've been amongst, amongst family. I think the biggest surprise the night was for you. <laughs> well, there was one particular story from Tony Coton, which was uh, surprising. Oh, look. Right, I went, I went on holiday recently to a well-known holiday resort where you have an outdoor water rapids ride, right? And basically, 
you go down, speeds up, slows down, speeds up, you can get caught in a in a bit of a flume at times and, and maybe donk your head as I did when I was on holiday, almost letting go of my son and it was almost a complete <laughs> disaster. And that's basically what a story with Tony Coton is like, <laughs> that you never really know whether you're uh, okay with it. But I think we, I think we got away with it. And uh, he's just, he's just entertaining. What, what fascinates me is what it must have been like when he was playing yeah. at the peak of his powers. And presumably he was able to deliver stories like that. And he must have been a great teammate to have. Mm. Could have just sort of completely changed the dynamic of a dressing room by saying something funny, doing something funny, just settling people down. So it's great to now be able to revisit some of those stories and yeah he's 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 a card personally personally i think the most surprising and favorite news of of the evening was the fact that um Heide Helgerson's now uh, misses is back on the market, which, which Mike, I think, is the great news for all man- mankind. Ears pricked up left, right and centre. Ears, ears. Uh, I like the way he managed to talk about Heide Helgerson's wife and Hans Seeger's dad in sort of uh, vaguely glowing terms. But, uh, yeah, that, that's Tony Cohen for you. Adam, do you have to sell it to these guys or are they happy to come and, and do it? No, they're, they're very, very happy to come and do it. And I think that they enjoy being able to have that platform to be able to tell the stories that they um remember and i'm just glad that they're they're into it and i'm glad that i'm able to sort of push them in the right direction i'll tell that story or or do this and then you have moments where you're not you're not expecting obviously we've talked about the tony coton story but right at the end when when paul wilkinson was talking about leaving a legacy and and making sure that you find out the truth about things and that's really important to to what we're trying to do with Tales from the Vicarage and making sure that those stories are are put down and recorded for forever and ever. So there'll be more and more of those stories. And it, I didn't ask him to, you know, talk about leaving a legacy, but I think we're all in a sort of a, a legacy mindset at the moment, obviously yeah. what's happened over the last couple of months. And, you know, you might not have been an iconic person at the at the football club, even the smallest stories that can just fit together one piece of our history is really really important and you know Paul Wilkinson can do that to Luther Blissett who's the you know the godfather of 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 Watford players so um yeah I think it's I think it's good how everything fits in and everyone's and everyone buys into it I think it's refreshing what's evident tonight was these footballers care about football and they care about the club's Mm -hmm. They play for certainly the ones we've we've seen on stage. You mentioned tales from the vicarage and what you hope it does and and what it will continue to do. What is next for for tales from the vicarage? Well, I can't talk too much about exactly what we're going to be doing, um, but there will be a sixth volume, and it will be coming out in November time, um, and we will furnish everyone, our loyal followers, uh, on all sorts of different platforms, uh, with information about that but it will be coming. But we are also working on the last two live events, picking out the best bits, obviously tonight and then the one in November. And we'll collate all that and we're going to put it out either in a, a digital offering or a, an old school... I was going to say... A VHS, video. game on! <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a ruddy video! Um, no, uh, we'll, we'll put it out in some way. I need to speak to someone about what we do and uh, whether we put it on a DVD or just a you know digital download or whatever but we'll make sure that so many people that 
haven't been able to come to the last two events or the last you know five events um get to see what we're doing and uh yeah so that's the that's that's what's to come book dvd vhs beta max <laughs> and who who you know, you've had many many men on that stage now who who's the one <laughs> who is who do you still want to get on that stage and interview in the not maybe the next one but in the future one is there one player in particular you want to to have an interview the i mean the ultimate ultimate dream and i don't think that this would be possible because he operates on a completely different plane but obviously to have elton john on on the stage would be just amazing Perhaps if you offered him Kenny Jackett's white stilettos, he might. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was another. That was another. That was a classic example of a Tony Coton story where you thought, "What the what what oh, what what oh, okay. oh fine no it's fine it's quite a nice story." Yeah, exactly. We're all right. We're back on. Yeah, um, but no, obviously Elton John would be amazing, but it doesn't have to be the biggest no. biggest. I'd love to hear from Glenn Hodges. Oh. I loved Glenn Hodges yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, Glenn Hodges would be amazing. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to pull together a whole load of people that aren't <laughs> yeah. the biggest players that we've ever had but there are so many you know Gary Penrice for yeah. example it would be great to have him on board um Dean Holdsworth who is in the second third book um he hasn't had an opportunity to come yet because for for various reasons but he's got a lot of tales to tell because it didn't necessarily go all to plan for him but people that are have different tales to tell about their time. It doesn't have to have been about great success. So there are there are many more to come. Can I make a request? Yeah. I'd like Nathan Ellington, Trevor Senior, <laughs> Dave Bassett, yeah. um, and we'll have Jack Petchy as well. So, yeah, just just for someone who did a little bit of good. Yeah. Tales from the Evil Vicarage. Is, is that Halloween? Is it? Exactly. Yeah. What? Any chance? But you know, let's be honest, right? The Dave Bassett story would be fascinating. Really? <laughs> because who would want to step in those shoes? I presume the you know tales from the the Red Devils is probably thinking right. Well, we've we've done Sir Alex Ferguson. Now we need to get David Moyes for that sort of similar impossible job. As I've said on a number of occasions, it doesn't have to be the happy ending story. Um, <laughs> With that line, but it really isn't. I mean, that's just like the worst ever lineup. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. If you do want a happy ending, we just need to get those three guys. <laughs> And the former Mrs. Helgerson. <laughs> A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end.